right, we are back. We, we like to do obituaries on this program because we think uh, certain lives need to be commemorated. Someone who passed away this year that did, did not warrant uh, national attention but certainly is an important guy in the Sacramento-Davis area would be William B. Pond, who passed away at age 91 this last year. William Pond was the founding father of the American River Parkway. He became Sacramento County's first parks director back in 1959 and envisioned a wildlife habitat and recreational area all along the American River from the Sacramento River up to Nimbus Dam in Folsom. Pond was able to pool local, state, and federal money to begin acquiring land for the 23-mile-long parkway, which draws 8 million visitors a year. Said Isla Collins, former Sacramento County supervisor, anyone that enjoys the American River Parkway, the kayaking, the hiking, bike riding, owes a debt of gratitude to Bill Pond. Indeed, the American River Parkway is studied by uh, urban planners from all over the world. I was first acquainted uh, with its uh, beauty when, as a, uh, a student in the dorms at UC Davis, uh, we put together a little field trip and went up to rent rafts to come down the American River. And I must say that it is a major reason that I live in this area. To be basically in an urban region, 12 miles from the state capital, and yet find yourself out in a semi-wilderness with otters and beaver and howling coyotes and deer is it's just a wonderful thing. So, William B. Pond, we salute you. And uh, speaking of my student days at, uh, at UC Davis, my economics book was written by Paul Samuelson, who passed away on December 13th. As I recall, he wrote a pretty good textbook. Apparently, a lot of people thought so. It was a bestseller. Said The Economist, Samuelson probably became the most influential economist of the second half of the 20th century. For his work in several branches of the dismal science, he became the first American economics Nobel laureate. Said The Economist, his earliest memories of the recession of 1919 and strike-breaking immigrant workers from Mexico and of the boom and bust that followed shaped Samuelson's macroeconomic views throughout his life. He approved of massive government spending to help an economy escape from recession when monetary policy can do no more. When the Obama administration introduced just that sort of stimulus last year, partly on the advice of Mr. Samuelson's nephew, Larry Summers, who's Mr. Obama's chief economic advisor, he was quick to approve. Though regarded as America's leading standard bearer for Keynesian economics, he called himself a cafeteria Keynesian, just picking bits he liked. His combination of ideas became known as the neoclassical synthesis. From his chair at MIT in a column at Newsweek, the self-described dull centrist became a fierce critic of the libertarian Chicago school and especially of Milton Friedman, writer of a rival Newsweek column. Markets are not perfect, Samuelson believed, and dire warnings from Milton Friedman and earlier from Friedrich von Hayek about the regulation of markets, quote, tells us something about them rather than something about Genghis Khan or Franklin Roosevelt. It is paranoid to warn against inevitably slippery slopes once individual commercial freedoms are in any way impinged upon, wrote the magazine. As for Mr. Samuelson's friend of 50 years, Alan Greenspan, once chairman of the Federal Reserve, said Samuelson, the trouble is that he'd been an Ayn Rander, meaning a devotee of laissez-faire capitalism, said Samuelson, you can take the boy out of the cult, but you can't take the cult out of the boy. Samuelson told The Atlantic last summer, Greenspan actually had an instruction 
probably pinned on the wall, that nothing from this office should go forth which discredits the capitalist system. Greed is good. And no, I don't know if that's literally true, but that's what Paul Samuelson said. Magazine noted the huge sales of Samuelson's textbook, Economics, first published in 1948 and updated every three years, owed much to his lively writing. The book transformed how economics was and is taught around the world. If the earlier editions too readily believed that an economy could achieve equilibrium, that may have stemmed from the author's conviction that mathematics could be a useful tool for economics and that economics had much to learn from physics and the laws of thermodynamics. Magazine went on. Today it is fashionable to argue that economics was led astray by physics envy, which blinded it to the subtleties of human behavior. Yet after winning his Nobel Prize in 1970, Samuelson anticipated economists' current interest in biological systems by writing several papers on Mendelian dynamics. He was described as the last of the great general economists, making important contributions on trade, macroeconomics, public finance, and consumer behavior. But at about age 50, he decided that he had to specialize, so he chose financial economics. Said the economist, Samuelson also understood that beyond the ivory tower, the conditions necessary for efficient markets rarely existed. Mr. Samuelson would explain, when someone preaches economics in one lesson, I advise, go back for the second lesson. This is why we love The Economist on this program. It went on, the latest crisis, for which he felt some responsibility since he'd helped develop financial derivatives that company executives did not understand, proved that free markets do not stabilize themselves. Zero regulating is vastly suboptimal to rational regulating. Libertarianism is its own worst enemy. Pretty smart guy, Paul Samuelson, and I think we should uh, take that last statement to heart. Zero regulating is vastly suboptimal to rational regulating. As some wag pointed out not too long ago, if you want to see an economy that has zero regulating, see how well it works, check out Iraq. But anyway, as I say, smart guy. For decades, he read the New England Journal of Medicine and uh, developed an interest in evidence-based medicine. Noting a weakness in his male ancestors, he was an early adopter of cholesterol-reducing statins as well as skimmed milk. Maybe that's why he lived to be 94. All right, we've got a few minutes left, and I want to, uh, well, I'll take a moment to say we, we regularly rely on this program on two British publications, The Economist, which we forgive for its uh, pro-business bias. We have to forgive them because they actually provide you with information. <laughs> check, check out a Newsweek of late, and then check out an Economist by comparison. It'll blow you away. And we also speak very highly on a regular basis of New Scientist magazine, but... Uh, we like to think that the people over at Scientific American have taken note of, of what a good job they're doing over in the UK because the late, latest issue, January 2010, has a couple of just outstanding articles we need to talk about. Now, I have to note, the cover article uh, in big, bold letters is Life in the Multiverse. Could the strange physics of other worlds breed life? This, of course, is a perfectly idiotic article. We don't know if there are other universes, so discussing life in other universes makes about as sense as an article in a scientific publication about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. But uh, that was not the article I wanted to praise. The article which knocked me out was by John D. Young and Jan Martell, titled The Rise and Fall of Nanobacteria. Its subtitle, written with much zest, is 
Once believed to be the smallest, smallest pathogens known, nanobacteria have now proved to be something almost as strange. They do play a role in health, just not the one originally thought. I think we should try and give you some sense of, uh, of scale to this article. Or first described in 1993 as nanobacteria, based on their appearance in an electron microscope, were little spherules about 50 nanometers across. By comparison, a human hair is 100,000 nanometers. And one of the red blood cells circulating in your veins is about 7,000 nanometers. So this is a lot smaller. When they looked at these little blobs in the electron microscope, they noted they seemed to have cell walls and filamentous surface projections. They were, however, significantly smaller than any known bacteria. The smallest known life form, cited by the magazine Mycoplasma, are about 200 nanometers across. So consider the smallest life form to be the size of a racquetball, and we're talking about something about the size of a marble. Keep in mind here that the smallest known viruses, which are much, much simpler than bacteria, is half that size, 23 nanometers. So these were small little blobs. Now, they, they were able to find fossils resembling these little spheres, again, 5 to 100 times as small as common bacteria, in ancient geologic beds. And three years later, when David S.K. of the NASA Lyndon B. Johnson Space Center found similar little particles in a, a meteorite that was blasted off the surface of Mars that was trumpeted as possibly groundbreaking evidence to life elsewhere in the solar system. So the possibility of similar fossils in Earth rocks and Martian rocks got people excited. President Clinton said at the press conference for the uh, Martian discovery, Today, rock 84001 speaks to us across all those billions of years and millions of miles. It speaks of the possibility of life. If this discovery is confirmed, it will surely be one of the most stunning insights into our universe that science has ever uncovered. And while that's certainly true, some skeptics took a look at these nanobacteria and labeled them cold fusion microbiology. <laughs> and indeed, John Young and Jan Martell have taken a very close look at how one can grow these microspherules using minerals and organic molecules. By starting out with some calcium and some phosphate, mixing in a little protein and a few lipids, uh, you started getting these little spherules looking exactly like nanobacteria. Noted the authors, we certainly did not expect that such simple compounds would readily assume shapes and geometries that make them look virtually identical to nanobacteria acquiring cell-like walls and appearing to divide just like living bacteria. But these guys sat around the lab, mixed up the compounds, and were able to replicate uh, to their satisfaction, and I think will be the world's satisfaction, what these particles are. And it turns out this has some applications in medicine. Inside a human body, for example, unwanted crystals cause all kinds of trouble, from gout to kidney stones. Therefore, we have natural systems that seem to act as inhibitors of calcification. Note of the Arctic noted the writers, this constant clearance of the minerals serves to prevent abnormal calcium deposits that could cause disease. Therefore, these nanoparticles, which do show up inside human bodies, have to be viewed as part of a larger cycle of normal calcium regulation. Rather than being the cause of ailments involving abnormal calcification, 
They may be the end result of other metabolic abnormalities that affect mineral inhibition and clearance. So this stuff may have a lot of applications. And it may have some relevance to uh, what they're finding in that Martian meteorite in that it's conceivable that, uh, that uh, these sorts of elements seen in rock may represent some of, if not life, what led to life. Wrote the authors, it's conceivable that by a process of self-replication similar to nanoparticle growth, minerals complex with small organic molecules form the first building blocks of life and found a way of perpetuating themselves. May have led, in fact, to you and me. Fascinating bit of science, well written. And also a great way with which to close a radio program. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening, of course, to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We remind you that it's New Year's Eve, so if you're going to be drinking tonight, don't drive. We have an appointment to meet again in the new year, and we want, we want you to hold up your end of the bargain. We'll uh, see you then. In the meantime, Happy New Year. <laughs>